Good morning. Welcome to Marine Creek, everybody. Um, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm glad you're here. I'm going to raise this up. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 19. We're actually going to be in chapter 20 today, but I need to back up to kind of set context a little bit. Um, and I, oh, when I was thinking during that song, there's still kind of like a woo happening. You know, I don't know what, what we got to do about that. Um, but when we were singing, I can only imagine, I was thinking... I have no idea how I'm going to behave when I stand in the presence of God. I really don't. Um, I can, I can kind of get an idea. I used to have all these lists of questions that I cannot wait to ask God when I get to heaven. Yeah, I'm sure you have them too. Um, like, I want to know who shot JFK, really. Let's put an end to it once and for all. I'm tired of examining the films and, and all the theories, and, and uh, the History Channel does a great job, but I know God knows. And so I'm like, I want to ask that to God. To God, who shot JFK? But I really think when we get into God's presence, none of that's going to matter. I, I really think all of the questions and all the stuff that we carry through life um, that we can't wait to ask God, or we go through tough or trying experiences, and we're just kind of like, God, I can't wait to see you face to face because I want you to answer for this. I really think that stuff just kind of falls away when we get into God's presence. And I hope that we can begin to live life that way that we understand that when we get into God's presence, none of this is about us. And when we live life, that none of life is really about us anyway. And so my hope is that we begin to move from this, this idea of a self-centered nature to a selfless nature. Um, honestly, we're born this way. We can't blame it on how we're born because we've been given grace and we know how to call on Jesus, so we can't use that as an excuse. As, I was born this way, that's just the way I am. I'm selfish, I was born in the sin nature, and that's just the way it is. No, quit, quit using that as a crutch. Let's step in grace, let's, let's accept grace in our life, and let's begin to grow up in grace. And growing up, really, is, the hard part about growing up, honestly, for me, is getting to that point where I can't be as selfish as I really want to be. I mean, I'm being honest with you. I'm a dad and I'm a husband, and there are times when I just want to be totally selfish. I want to tell my kids, I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait. I want to tell Heather, I'm going to spend the money on this, and it doesn't happen. You know, we've got to move into this more selfless lifestyle, and I think we're self-centered because of our sin nature, and we have to make conscious decisions. I love what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he was uh, mentioning the sin nature. He said, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. And I feel like I'm always at battle and always at odds with this sinful nature. And, and I used to think of it this way. He says, daily I die to myself. And so I think about, you know, my sin nature, like me finally with the power that God gives me, just killing them, you know, just, just beating them down. Like, ha I won, man. Grace overcame. And I like beat him down on the ground and I walk away. But he's kind of like the, the Jason, you know. I, I can run, but he, he can just be like. And I feel like I take 10 steps and all of a sudden he's back on my back. And I'm going, what is going on? And I'm struggling with sin. I'm fighting it. But I can't use that as an excuse. I have to keep pressing on with Jesus as my focus and begin to deal and work on my sinful nature. And part of that sin nature says, it really is all about you. Nothing else. No one else is going to look out for you. It doesn't matter. You've got to take care of you. You've worked hard enough. You're good enough. You're smart enough. You deserve this. And we begin to start moving into this self-centered lifestyle. And so this morning, we're going to kind of get, we're going to finish up our series, It's Not About Me. And I know last week was pretty heavy, and we dealt with some heavy stuff. And um, this week's not going to be a, even, not going to be lighter, really, I'm sorry. Um, it's one of those, I, I know it's kind of a beat-up type thing, but I'm trying not to beat us up because I'm at the front of the line with all of this. And so when it's not about me, I just want us to kind of move in and understand the truth of what Jesus is teaching here and understand, too, that, that there's grace and that God loves us more than we can imagine. And so we're going to get into this uh, this morning. Last week in chapter 19, Jesus was having some interaction with the religious leaders and the Pharisees of the day. And the disciples were kind of listening to everything going on about, about marriage not being about us and salvation not being about us and that we're designed, we're to, we're to give God glory for everything and in everything and, and everything that we do should give glory to God and that really this is not about you at all. 
And then the disciples, Peter, actually asked Jesus, well, what, what's in it for us? We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. What's in it for us? I mean, really, come on. Let's, let's, be, let's be honest here. And so what happens here in verse uh, 28, in chapter 19, Jesus is turning attention to, from the Pharisees to the disciples because he's getting ready to just lock in with them and kind of just get in that moment and really start teaching uh, some principles and understandings for them so that they can find um, not just value, but they can find more of their place and, and energy in the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus says to them in verse 28. Um, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. And where we're going in, in chapter 20 is he starts to lock in on this subject of, of humility um, that many who are last will be first and many who are first will be last. I used to, you know, in Sunday school, we'd be talking about this. And when they got ready to hand out the cookies and the Kool-Aid, I'd be like, I'll be at the end of the line, teacher. I'm letting them go ahead. You know, I was hoping I would get the cookies first because my teacher did that one day. She's like, line up for cookies. Okay, you, you see me. I mean, I like cookies. I don't have to hide that. And so I'm trying, I'm like pushing, man. I'm like, everybody move, you know. And so I'm trying to get at the front of the line for the cookies. And when my teacher pulled a fast one, she goes, okay, I'm going to start at the end of the line because... Those who are last will be first, and I just wanted to—I just—I wanted to go unholy, you know. I wanted to go Old Testament, like listen to me teach, you know. Understand this: thus saith the Lord, give me my cookie. But anyway, but Jesus is starting to lock in, and he's going to really teach this principle and this subject to the disciples. And so he goes into this—the parable of the workers in the vineyard—and uh, we're going to have much interaction here in just a second. Let me read you verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, I'm going to hire some workers this morning. And I, I do, I got in my wife's purse and I braved the black hole and I have some cash. Um, the first service, they're not liking me too much because I paid them and made them give it back to me. I was like, look, this is the Jesus tax, okay? I mean, it's the sermon tax. It's just for illustration only. Somebody got smart. I can't remember who, but they folded the dollar bill 10 times during the first service, and they go, here, I'm paying you back tenfold. I'm like, that's a Matt joke, honestly. I'm like, you're so clever. Okay, I need to hire some folk because um, I have some things that need to be taken care of. Our stage is a little unkempt. And so um, I'm going to hire Fred because Fred knows what he's doing. Um, he looks like he needs a job. And um, <laughs> I didn't mean it that way. I mean, I mean, just, I, I, I mean anyway, Fred, I'm going to pay you a dollar. Here's what I want you to do. That chair is bothering me. Can you just hold it? Just get it off the stage. Just hold it right down there. I mean, just go down there. Cause watch that. Now, if you break that, I'm going to take it out of your wages. <laughs> but I'll, I'll pay you a dollar for, the, for your work. So... It's all good. Um, move over there. You know, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Ah, now I can see I've got room. I used to teach on a stage zilla, and so for me, I'm kind of like, so what do I do with my hands, you know? <laughs> anyway, um, so I need to hire some more workers here. Let's see. Um, Ryan, why don't you come up? I'm going to have you work. Um, since you're a musician, I'm going to hire you in, in my, in my, on my stage. You're welcome to come work for me. Come on, I'll pay you a dollar for your time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like in the first service. I'm going to have you hold Fred's guitar. But I've got Fred working over here, so he's, he's not going to be able to hold your guitar. So, so remember, I'm just paying the wage. It's not enough to cover that price of that guitar. Um, Kayla, I need some more workers. I've, two guys aren't enough. I need, I, can you just come and smile for me? I'll pay you a dollar just to come and smile for us. <laughs> Yay! If you want, Kayla, you can sit right here in this chair, or you can stand right here. You can even duck behind and just every like ten seconds, reach out and smile. That's gonna that makes everyone's day. You know, everyone loves a kid's smile. She's so genuine and, and honest and, and pure. Okay, so um, I see, uh, Shannon. I see that you're a little jealous that I hired your sister. Would you come and work for me? That's what Kayla said when she was walking up. She's like, you gotta hire Shannon too. 
She's like, I come with, come with strings. You know, if you want me, it's a package deal. So, Shannon, I'm going to have you hold Ryan's guitar. Um, Cheyenne, I need some help. Would you come and work for me? Okay. What can I, what am I going to have Cheyenne do? I'm going to, Cheyenne, your job is to watch Kayla. Just make sure she doesn't fall off. Because she, she can, she's had some cinnamon buns this morning. As we all have, the chocolate things. If you didn't have one of those chocolate things, you should have got here for first service because the little chocolate cupcakes, they were heaven in wrapping. Um, I'm just saying. Let's see. How many do I got? I got three, four, five. There's still work to be did around here. Um, Josh, would you work for me, please? Thank you. Um, what I want you to do, that mic is turned the wrong way. I just need you to hold it. Hold it over Ryan in case he says anything that we could. You know, this is being recorded, and so I, I might need that for for help later. So I've got I've got I've got six workers here, you know. <laughs> so and, and you got a smile, you know. Okay. You're getting paid. I mean, come on. Um, let's see. So let me let me read here. You guys, you guys just hang on to what you got, and we'll we'll, we'll get back with you. You're doing a great job, though. Okay, so he went out and hired the workers. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace and did no, doing nothing. Um, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever. So they went, so I've hired some more. Um, it's almost like at 6 a.m. he hired two, and then at 9 a.m. he went out and hired two more. And then, uh, verse 5, he went out again about the sixth hour, which is about noon, and about the ninth hour, which is about 3 p.m., and did the same thing. About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing around here all day doing nothing? Okay, so I need two more people that I see are doing nothing. Um, Caleb, Rank, would you, would you come work for me, please? Thank you, man. Um, I'm, I'm going to take care of you, though. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you. It's all good. It's good, really. Um, let's see. Callie, you, you were kind of mad when I hired Fred, so we're a dual-income society. So um, why don't you just help Fred hold that up since... Since, uh, you know, he'll provide the, the bronze and you be the brain. Um, I really thought I was going to slip that in without anybody noticing. And so I have these workers uh, working in my vineyard. Um, and I chose to go out and hire them. Now, Callie and Caleb, I hired at the 11th hour. Um, oh, Caleb, here's what I want you to do. Just hold that music stand. Um, you might want to move it a little bit, but just kind of hold it up. And don't be in Cheyenne's way because she needs to be looking all good. And there you go. This is great. Okay. <laughs> okay, so he said to them, go work in my vineyard since you're not doing anything. Um, when, and the 11th hour is about 5 p.m. So he hired some people at 6 a.m. He hired some people at 9 a.m. He hired some people at noon. He hired some people at 3 p.m. And he hired some people at 5 p.m. And then when evening came, which was about the 6th hour, 6 p.m., the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, he said, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going to the first. So you guys, I hired you in a specific order. What I want you to do is I want you to line up here for your pay in reverse order of how I hired you, okay? So if I hired you last, you shall be first. You can put your music stand down. And Caleb, I hired you um, before I hired Callie, so you'll stand behind Callie. You see where I'm going with this? And so um, why don't y'all line up for your paychecks or your dollar denarius is? Now, here's what's going on. The owner of the vineyard lined them up. He said, go get the workers in from the field. The ones that I hired at five, bring them in. Let them be at the front of the line. Now, there's a lesson being learned here because the people who were hired first are at the end of the line and they are seeing this and they are hearing this and I say, Callie, great job, there's your pay. Caleb, great job, there's your pay. Thank you for your time today. Josh, thank you for your time and your energy, your effort, your hard work. Cheyenne, thank you. Shannon, I've like got a lot of C's. Look at this. It was the C day. Um, Shannon, thank you for your job well done. Kayla, thank you very much. You smile beautifully. Ryan, Thank you very much for your time. Fred, thank you. I appreciate your work. That was hard work. And then I've got, I've got some money left over so I can go grab something for myself. 
And so get the picture going on. I mean, you got guys that have been working for 12 hours and they agreed to a wage and they're at the back of the line and they're seeing people who worked for one hour getting the same pay. And this is where holy grumbling starts coming in. Um, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and heat of the day. I mean, this is where it's kind of like it starts. It's not fair. You know, this was the first time that I, well, not the first time, but this was a major instance where, where they're looking and going, it's not fair. Wait a second. You hired me. I worked here all day. You hired that guy for an hour and he got the same thing. We tend to associate our loyalty with greater reward. We tend to think because I've been here working all day, yes, I agreed to do this for a dollar, but because I've been here all day and these other people are coming in, I see the landowner's got some money. So I should be able, I should be entitled to more. I should get more from this. And this is where, this is where the grumbling starts. Let me just say this. When you make money your God, you will be miserable. Um, I haven't experienced the uh, challenge of having more money than I know what to do with. Uh, I pray that I have the character to do that someday. But I will just say this. When money is your God, you'll be miserable. And, and here's why. It's because enough is never enough. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We tend to think the love of money is the root, but the love, or the, we think money is the root, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, money's neutral. I mean, I, I gave them a dollar. They can use that dollar to go buy something healthy or something unhealthy. They could use that dollar to buy a bottled water, which would be a healthy choice, or they could buy uh, a Mountain Dew that's loaded with sugar and caffeine and every, all the stuff that we can't um, um, pronounce. I can't even say it. <laughs> See, it's even that hard. I can't even pronounce pronounce. Money's neutral. And so when we love it and it becomes our God, we become miserable because enough is never enough. It's like an addiction, you know, it, where it takes more to feel the same way. You know, it, it's almost like when, when we amass a certain amount of money, but we need more to feel the way we did before. And we find ourselves just in an empty cycle. We end ourselves working, working ourselves to death to get money because we think that we need more. And that starts to lead us into this, this selfish environment. You know, and another thing is, you know, we tend to, like I said, we feel entitled to something greater because we've been here longer. I, I, I will liken it, and I'll do a parallel here to, to the church. We launched just over a year ago. 29 people launched this church. Um, none of those 29 people will come to me and say, I want my own parking spot at the courtyard, or I want my chair. You know, would you put a plaque on the chair so it's my chair? And, and if that's the case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to laugh at you and say thank you for your help launching this church. God bless you and your endeavors. You know, it's not because there's not an, a sense of entitlement because someone was here the first weekend we were here. Here's the, here's the principle to understand. The workers in the vineyard should have been happy that they had help because there's a lot of work to be done. And instead of them being happy and, ex, and excited that the vineyard owner said, let's hire some more to get the job done, to be more effective at the job, they wanted more money. When we use this as a principle in our church, I'm excited that God has brought more people to the creek because that's more of us able, being able to work the mission and vision that God has given us for our church. Our mission is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus, period. It's not just get what we can in a mass so we can become selfish jerks. It's so we can bring glory to our Father for what He has done in our life. And because Jesus is the only one that has the power to bring transformation to life. And so I don't see, you know, when, when, we, when we grow, when our core grows, and when people say, I'm going to make the creek my home, it's not because we can get as many people as we can in this room. It's so we can be more effective outside of here doing the work that God has called us to. You see, we don't just add one to one to one. When we start growing in mass, our ability to accomplish the kingdom tasks grows exponentially. There are people that have come to the creek of ways that I had no, nothing to do with. I mean, you saw in the video, 
Paul's, Paul's story was the, the sign blew onto his car. I didn't even put the sign out there. But somehow God lets us, watch this, this will be fun. But, but then Paul has invited people. And so you see where it happens. There are things that I, can, I haven't impacted. But because God has brought more people, our ability to reach the community grows exponentially. And so we have to understand this. Work is not about me. And I, let's bring it back to, to this, is that you work in an, in an environment, and it may not be the healthiest of environments. I, I get that. It may not be the most holy of environment. It may not be the most ethical of environments that you could be. Uh, we all go through times where we don't like our job. Can I, can I have some honest confession here for a minute? Uh, even as a pastor launching the church, there are times I don't like my job. There are times I have to do things that I don't like. There are times when I have to walk into an ICU room and I don't like my job. There are times when I have to sit with a family and try to make some sense of what God is allowing them to go through in their life. I don't like my job at that point. I do it because God's called me to do it. Think about this. Your, your vocation comes from the Greek word vokos, the Latin word vokos. Vokos simply means calling. Here's what I want you to understand about your job. God has called you to that job for a very specific purpose. Maybe it's because you can be the only light where there would otherwise be darkness. But your purpose is to bring glory to your Father through how you do your job. It's not to, it's not to turn, maybe not to turn your boss or your subordinates or your customers to where, where they all become believers in Jesus, but you glorify God. You may not stop all the unethical things happening in your company, but as you glorify God through your job, you do your part. You become salt and light in your area, in your organization. You may not like the school that, that, that you're in, but God has put you there for a purpose. You see, God is sovereign. And he says, I'm going to put this person here because this person, when they glorify me, has the greatest chance for me being glorified in a greater scope. Because the work can be, done, can be grown exponentially. And so we've got to understand that our work isn't about us. I read this um, this week and God started working on me. And, and I want you to write this down. It is hard to grumble when you're humble. I know it's kind of a cheesy rhyming thing. And I, I'm not a fan of alliteration or, or kind of goofy rhymes. But just remember that. When you start to grumble, it's like, I've got to be humble. And that came to me this week as I was, I was getting hungry and grumpy. And you've heard me tell you my term, grungry. And so I was starting to grumble because I wasn't getting my way. I'm like, I want to go eat. I'm not here. You know, God's like, it's hard to grumble when you're humble. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> he smacks me like that sometimes. But we've got to stay focused on the course. Verse 13, but he answered one of them, friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? As Christ followers, we should be marked and known for our generosity. I mean, how we give of our time, how we give of our abilities, and yes, how we give up our money. Let me just say this. I am amazed at the generosity of our church. We're, we're not a large church, but the impact that you have the ability to make through your generosity is mind-blowing to me. I mean, families that we don't know in our community go through tragedy, and, and you, guys, you guys give like crazy. You guys bring donations. That you're, you're, doing, you're offering up your homes. You're offering up clothes, and... and just the generosity for reaching out to the community amazes me. And when I share that with other pastors, it, some of their mouths just open up and go, how did you get him to do that? I said, man, we just preach Jesus. They're generous people. And then even within our community, I've seen, and I know some of you have gone through some horrific experiences. Oh, and I love it. It just humbles me to see your arms reach around somebody. I mean, to see meals show up for people who are, have been sick. And, and, and it's not just bringing food to somebody. It's saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I, I care about you. I mean, we've had, we've had instances where, where 
needs have been met that, that I, I hear about, and I'm just like, that's, it just blows me away, honestly. And, and sadly, we're, most of the time, Christ followers are not marked by their generosity. Those who are servers and waitresses, waiters in restaurants, their least favorite day. One article said they hate this day, is Sundays, because of the Christians. Because in the restaurants, Christians tend to be the bossiest and the least generous people. In other words, we boss people around and we don't tip. Let me just say this. Be nice to the person who's bringing your food on so many levels, but be nice to the person who's bringing your food. They are serving you, but you have an ability to serve them and be generous to them. I'm just, I'm just going to leave you with that. Be generous to them. Generosity takes the focus off of me, but it's not the cure. Okay, serving is not about me. Verse uh, 17. Work is not about me. How we earn our paycheck is not about me. I go to a job, I earn a paycheck, but it's still not about me. And then we're going to talk about serving. And this is our volunteer time. This is what we give above what we're getting paid for. And uh, this is going to come back in where Peter said, So Jesus... What's our hookup? What do we get in all this? And he, uh, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. This is the third time Jesus talks about his death. But it's the first time he gets real descriptive with it. He's talking about location. He's talking about the Gentiles being involved, about who all is going to be involved, the beating that will occur, the mocking, the crucifixion. He says, I'm going to be crucified. And then he says, and I'll be raised again. And in verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, which is James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Now we tend to beat up James and uh, John's mom, Mrs. Zebedee, because uh, it's almost like, and I was reading one commentary, it was kind of like this, hey Jesus, I know you're dying, but before you do, can I get this last request in there? You know, before you die, will you just make it be so that this happens? It's kind of like, hey, mom, mom, dad, I know you're getting older, but hey, can you make sure this is in the will? I mean, think about it. You're just like, <laughs> we tend to beat her up for this. And, and no, I'm, honestly, I was probably at the front of the line. And then one commentator says, but think about this. She did go to Jesus and humble herself. And yes, her request was selfish, but she humbled herself and she asked Jesus because she believed that he was going to have a kingdom and was going to be sitting in glory. And then he said, think about the love of God that this mother has, that she wants her sons close to Jesus. You know, as a dad, I've got two little girls. They're always going to be little girls to me. I know they're growing up. But as a dad... There is nothing more that I could want than my kids close to Jesus. When my oldest daughter moved to Canada and someone asked, how, how do you deal with that? I went back to Zebedee because James and John got out of the boat. I said, for the first time in my life, I understood how Zebedee felt because he saw his kids getting out of the boat, but they were following Jesus. As a dad, I want nothing more than my kids to be close to Jesus. Yes, it was a, a more of a self-centered request of saying, can they have a place of honor because they've left everything to follow you? But she wanted them with Jesus. And, and what's happening here is Jesus is going to use this to teach a message about service. Um, 25 years ago, Lou Holtz said that 25 years ago, uh, people talked more about duties and obligations. And people today speak of rights and privileges. We speak more of entitlements than responsibility today. And, and this has gotten into an unhealthy thing. It's almost as though James and John and, and John's mother uh, really felt a sense of entitlement that Jesus, they've left everything to follow you. When you sent them out in your name, in essence, you signed their death certificate. And so when you enter your kingdom, can they sit on either side of you in glory? You just mentioned in chapter 19, the 12 seats, because these disciples have left everything to follow you, that they will sit on these 12 seats. Can my sons have the places right beside of you? 
There's an entitlement. We tend to think that, God, because I'm serving you, you should take care of me. Because I'm taking care of other people, you should take care of me, and it should be done in this way. Because, because God, I go and I serve at Agape, you should pay my electric bill. God, because I serve coffee in the coffee bar, my house payment should be covered. We tend to make our entitlements very selfish and put us in places that are going to make us look and feel and live life more comfortably. When serving is nothing about me. Serving is me living in humility and doing things for other people in the name of Jesus. Selfishness or or entitlement is one of the most clear and blatant acts of self-centeredness that we we can see in our society today. Think about the prodigal son when he went to his dad. He said, Dad, I want what is owed to me. I'm entitled to ask you for what you owe me. And he left and he squandered it and was very selfish. As a church, we've got to get past our sense of entitlement. As a society, as a culture, you know, in our Bible study Thursday night, we were talking about our plans when we graduated high school. And we're all going around the table and we're talking about these plans and where, what our plans were and where we are now. And a lot of us were having these kind of realization moments. And one of the gentlemen in our Bible study, Ralph, he comes to the first service. Ralph is sitting there and he speaks up. Ralph, he, he speaks with, with wisdom when he speaks. And he says, you know, when I finished my schooling, I didn't have a choice. We were a nation at war and my draft card was in the mail. And he said, and I entered World War II after high school. See, a generation ago, we had people that were willing to operate and live under obligation and duty to give us the freedoms now to have rights and privileges. And we've got to get back and say, you know what, I'm going to do my responsibility. I don't like it. We've kind of moved into this thing as a society where if you don't like your job, just quit. Go do what you're happy with. You know, sometimes, and here's something, wisdom my parents taught me, suck it up and do it, boy. And there's some times that I've had to suck it up and do it because things had to get done. There is work that we engage in the kingdom that has to get done. There is work in our family that, yes, it's hard, but it has to get done. Don't neglect the work of your family. Don't neglect the work of the the church. Don't neglect the work of the kingdom. Don't neglect the needs of a society because it doesn't feel good. We've got to get out of our sense of entitlement. Selfishness on my part can cause many problems for other people. We've got a group that goes down every third Thursday to Agape Meals. There's nothing glamorous. It's not a sexy service job. We go down and we have meals with people who are so less fortunate. And we help them feel normal just for one meal. And if we get selfish and say, God, I don't want to serve these people, then they end up with a lack of people that are willing to serve. Selfishness on our part causes problems for many people. And here's how Jesus responded in verse 22. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. This cup that Jesus is referring to is like a cup of suffering. And he's saying can, to James and John, can you drink of this cup? Can you suffer the way I'm going to suffer? And they go, we can. Well, you know what? James and John actually did. They were martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus. And we tend to think that this cup um, means that all the Christian life is going to be that of suffering. And when they said, we can, Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those uh, prepared by my Father. Um, They drank that cup of suffering. We tend to think that the Christian life, and we hear people say, you know, when you follow Christ, I mean, it's just going to be a life of suffering. Persecution, the world is going to hate you, and so we kind of lean towards the, well, what's, what's in it for me? And then we've got people that are trying to sell the gospel, and they'll say, man, when you put your faith in Christ, you're going to be blessed, you're going to, he's going to take care of you, you're going, to have, you're going to have wealth, you're going to have health, you're going to have wisdom because you're going to be able to have the faith to ask for all that. And I, I say both of those as kind of, kind of an unhealthy side of a spectrum it takes both of them i mean life is not always up if you've experienced if if 
If you came into faith thinking that God's going to solve all of your woes, it took you about 20 minutes to discover reality. If you got into in faith and you believe that it's all about just uh, woe is me, then you've experienced some moments where you kind of think, well, maybe that's not God because there was joy in that. There's a balance here. And, and some people think life is like a roller coaster, up and down, has its ups, has its downs. I kind of get confused by that because it feels like a manic depressive way of living life. It's like, hey, hoo, rah, hoo. you know, if you got off a roller coaster, as I get older, it messes with my blood pressure and I feel like I'm going to throw up. <laughs> you know, if, you, if that's your way of life, you're going to always feel nauseous in life. Think about it like this, as one pastor said, it's like railroad tracks. You've got the good and the bad and they're parallel. I mean, you can be leaning on one track and life is good, man, but there's something bad going on. You can be stuck on this track and, and uh, life is hard, I mean, my job stinks, I'm having to deal with my boss, budget cuts, more budget cuts, but there's something good going on. You may pull in the driveway and then your kids come out, Daddy, I love you. So glad you're home, Dad. There's something good going on. Here's what I've learned in life. It's like railroad tracks. It takes both to get where you're going. It takes a balance. Yeah, there's good in life and there's bad in life, but let's focus on Jesus. Let's focus on, on, on Him leading us. And I think when we get into that, kind of a way to avoid the manic, depressive, up, down, uh, let's pray for God's will. If, if you're feeling like your prayers are hitting the ceiling, it's still okay because God's in the room with you. But if that's how you feel, God, are you hearing me? Start writing your prayers down. Journal your prayers. And then go back through them and go, how selfish are my prayers? And then when you look at them, is this God, am I asking how to do this so you get glory or so that I can be back to comfortable? Say, God, I feel like I'm kind of skidding through life on the bad tracks. Let's, let's balance the train up just for me, not for your glory. And so pray for God's will, not yours. Um, and then uh, he goes on to say this. Um, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant. With the two brothers, uh, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He's saying you don't abuse your power when you serve. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What he's, what he's saying here is, is serving is not about you. You, can't, you may get authority through your service. Don't abuse it. What you need to use the authority through your service to do is to set some boundaries I, I, I have seen, you know, and some of you I've had this conversation with in our church that you're just, man, you're gung-ho. You're all in for the kingdom. And I, I, man, I'm, I'm down with that. Giddy up. But I kind of have to pull your collar back a little bit because if you go into serving without boundaries, you got a beeline to burnout, baby. And I would much rather us be in this for the long haul. Okay? I don't want us just to be a flash. So when we serve each other, when we serve the community, we're going to set some boundaries. Now, we're not going to understate our boundaries, but we're not going to overstate our boundaries. Boundaries are vital for us to be healthy in life, okay? Boundaries in your relationship with your spouse. You know, I will just be honest with you. The church, Marine Creek Church, is prioritized under my marriage with Heather and my family. I'm being honest with you. If my family's not getting taken care of, then the church is not going to get taken care of. It's important for me to set up boundaries as the pastor of this church so that I remain healthy. And I'm expecting you to set up boundaries, so I've got to do it too. You know, me too. And so boundaries are healthy in this um, with our serving. Serving is not about us. The last section, mercy is not about me. Verse 29, as Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they said, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight and followed him. You see, mercy is not about me. And the antidote to me is mercy. You see, selfishness, 
and, and our sin blinds us to God. And when we call on the mercy of Jesus, it's like he opens our eyes. Spiritually, we have eyes to see, we have ears to hear. And we begin to see Jesus in a new way. We begin to see life in a new way through the lens of grace. And so mercy is the antidote to me. And, and what's going on here is the crowd's trying to shut the blind men up because they've got Jesus. You know, we've got him to ourselves. And these guys, are, they, they want to pull Jesus off of what we want him to do. I mean, we, we see this in church a lot, is that we come in and we've got, you know, we've got two services and we're rocking and rolling and, and we, we, you know, we feel good and, you know, we like everybody we go to church with and, and we, we tend to say, okay, Jesus, we got you here, stay with us. And we hold Jesus hostage. And we don't want to let any sinners in because, ah, I don't want my family exposed to that. I mean, and we start to try to create this sterile environment Churches, we kind of close our doors to keep the bad people out because we think we're so good. I got some sobering news for us. We ain't that good, okay? And when we start to, when we start to think mercy is all about us, we hinder others from receiving it. Our heart gets hardened and our, our, our uh, ways get calloused and we start to hinder. We try to shut people up that are trying to reach out to Jesus. They come into the church. God, my marriage is falling apart. Jesus, save my marriage. Jesus, save my life. And we're like, shh, we got them to ourselves. And when we get in that mode as a church, it's very unhealthy because we think the mercy that God gives is just for me. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many, not just you. You know, Jesus died for me, but he died for us. And we can't lock down mercy and compassion to think it's a commodity that the church can trade. If we do that, Jesus is like, you're not going to hold me hostage. I just keep on walking. And the church becomes a place of bitterness because when mercy and compassion leaves us, God help us. Let me read to you. Turn over to Philippians uh, 2. When Jesus is the center, we extend mercy and compassion. And so let me go to Philippians 2. I'm going to have you turn there. Um, it's in the New Testament. It's a letter written by Paul. If you're not sure what page it's on, then you can look in your table of contents. Um, if you don't have a Bible, I forgot to mention it, but I hope you're using one of ours and you can take that. That is your gift. But I want you to read this. If you don't have a Bible, grab one. Put your name in the front of it and mark this passage. It's Philippians 2. Now I'm going to get there. I'm coming right behind you. Meet me there. I have to sing the song in my head. Philippians chapter 2. When Jesus is the center, we will extend mercy and compassion because we have the ability to imitate Christ's humility. Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. There's the boundaries. You don't neglect yourself for others, and you don't neglect others for yourself. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. It's Jesus is fully man and fully God. He put on manhood. He put on mankind. He confined himself to the restraints of man, and, and yet he, didn't, he was fully God, but didn't feel like it's something that he could abuse and say, because I'm God, I can do whatever I want. He submitted himself. Jesus entered humanity saying, this is not about me. He continued to give up his will. He prayed for God's will. His purpose was to please his Father in heaven. And he gave of himself and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay, you might think, well, that's why Jesus did it, because then it does become about him. No, listen to this. To the glory of the Father. Our life, when we imitate Christ's humility, is all about giving glory to our Heavenly Father. In how we do our job, in how we serve other people, in how we extend mercy and compassion, it's all about giving glory to God. So my challenge to you today is be a humble servant. When you go into work tomorrow, and I, and, and I have been there. I have worked in jobs that, that yeah, I'm, I'm willing to admit, man, I, I would tear up on the way to the office because I hated it so much. I wanted nothing more than to go in and say, I'm done. I can't stand this job. I can't stand you as my boss. I'm out of here. I mean, I wanted to sing it, take this job and shove it. But I'm just being honest, man. I'm just, if we're going to be operating in honesty here. And there are times that I just, I, I would pray, God, why do you still have me here? Why? And tomorrow, that might be your feeling when you walk into the office, when you walk into school, when you walk into the situation that you have. Let me just encourage you that your job is not about you. And don't go looking, well, who am I supposed to save and preach Jesus to so God will get me out of this job? I mean, we're going to pray for our jobs, and God may not transfer your boss tomorrow and you get the promotion. (laughs) You know, God may not all of a sudden free up the budget at your company. But here's what we're going to pray for. We're going to pray for humility so that God gets the glory through how we do our job. So that God gets the glory for how we serve the world around us. So that God gets the glory for how we extend mercy and compassion. And yes, that even happens in the workplace. And in the school, and in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Because that's why we imitate Christ's character. So that we can glorify our Father in heaven our lives changed through the message of the name above all names of the ultimate humble servant, Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. I, I, we just come to you and we, we lay it out, God. Some of us, we just struggle with our job. We struggle with the leaders in our jobs. We struggle with with the environment, with the culture of our jobs. God, we just come to you right now and we, first of all, repent and say, sorry for making it about me. And we recognize, God, that you put us where you have put us for your purpose so that we can give you glory through our work. God, I'm reminded of the scripture that says, whatever we do, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. So God, I just ask for the courage to be humble tomorrow when we walk into our jobs. God, we know through your character and through your strength that it doesn't mean that we're spineless to be humble. To be humble, God, means that we operate with your strength to bow down. So, God, we humble ourselves in our jobs. And we'll speak truth, God. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to maybe the the unethical things that are going on or the, the unhealthy things. But, God, we'll speak truth. But in that truth, the whole goal is to glorify you. And we glorify you through the way we work, through how we serve the people around us, and how we extend mercy and compassion. So God, when we have to confront tough situations, don't let us lose sight that we still serve those around us, extend mercy and compassion. God, forgive us for our entitlements. Forgive us for our attitudes thinking you owe us something. 
or because we're your kids, we deserve something. And God, we repent and we tell you we're just grateful to be your kids. And God, help us to be diligent with the obligations and duties and responsibilities that you've put before us. God, we thank you and we're grateful for the generations before us that, that fought and died, that, that, that were faithful with their duties and responsibilities so that we have the freedoms that we have, that God, let us not lose sight that we are also responsible. So keep us from being lazy and selfish. God, help us to be merciful and compassionate so that through the mercy and compassion we extend to others, it's a reflection of the mercy and compassion you've extended to us. God, may we never get in the way of someone coming to you so you can open their eyes. God, I ask that just as a good father that you would even physically move us out of the way when we get in your way. And God, help us to be a reflection of the glory that we would desire to give back to you, a reflection of mercy, of humility, of compassion. And that's the reflection uh, on the name that was the greatest servant, the most humble, merciful, and compassionate. That's Jesus. God, help us to be beautiful reflections of the mercy and compassion of Jesus who humbled himself, who was meek and glorified you through the salvation that he provided on the cross. Father, we submit ourselves to the same name that the Holy Spirit called out of the tomb so that we can walk in a life that is healthy and balanced. God, help us to understand there's good and there's bad, but there's always good. So we love you. We thank you. Holy Spirit, give us the strength this week that we need to do our job well, to serve well, to extend mercy and compassion. We love you so much, and it is the name above all names, the name of Jesus, that we pray this. Amen.